Outside, the podcast for the Formula One fanatic with me, Chris Moss and Jake Peach. Thank you for stopping by and listening to the podcast. Don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss a new episode. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Just search Around the Outside podcast on Facebook and we're at ATO podcast underscore on Twitter and Instagram. So in this episode, we're going to reflect on all the glitz and glamour of round five, which was around the streets of Monaco, and round up all the latest news and gossip from the sport and different formulas. But first, have you ever wondered how the coverage is all put together for what you see on TV and on social media behind the scenes? Well, you're about to find out as we introduce this week's guest from Formula One itself, Hannah Banfield. Okay, on this week's episode of ATO Podcast, we are very delighted to welcome our guest, Hannah Bamfield, who is assistant editor at uh, Formula One uh, at the TV at Biggin Hill. How are you doing? Good, thanks. How are you guys? Yeah, not bad at all. Thank you very much. Thanks for uh, stopping by. So we, we, we thought it'd be great to uh, do this episode. Uh, for a little bit of context, the way I know you had is we were on the same uni course together for people who are wondering where have we just plucked this assistant editor from? So we know each other from uh, a couple of years back, um, but we thought it'd be a great opportunity to sort of delve in behind the scenes of Formula One uh, and the broadcast and all the graphics you see uh, on social media, but also on TV, watching the race every weekend. So we thought it'd be a really cool episode to do behind the scenes. So um, first of all, I guess we should start by saying that we take it all for granted, just seeing everything pop up on the TV and, and it's just there. Um, obviously, a lot of work goes into all of that. Tell us how a usual Grand Prix weekend works in terms of making a broadcast. Um, I think it's, you know, as you know, Jake from uni, like everything that goes into it, it's a long process. And even from like before season testing, you the live team, they kind of build all these ideas, get all the footage ready, and we kind of always prep. So it's always whenever, if we think Hamilton's going to win the eighth world championship, we'll get like everything done. And even like the 100 wins and stuff, you'll get all that done and you'll get it all prepped for before. So we can put out the best content that we've got. So it's not just a week before and we're like, oh god like you get it all prepped and done and everything um but season testing as well that's kind of it's called testing for the live department as well because then they test well I think they do because I don't touch much of the live department but they test like the graphics new stuff see if it works see it's testing not only for the teams but for us as well which is nice. Uh, so that's kind of where you get it all kind of out. I don't know if I explained that very well at all. <laughs> uh, no, no, you you did explain it well. Um, basically, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of components, and um, you know when the cars are testing, you're testing things as well. Um, but how many kind of different teams yeah. will will we say, or different uh, sort of departments or people in general are working all together in harmony to bring together coverage for a for a race weekend of course on the track and back at base crazy it's absolutely crazy you've got 
the live graphic team that get all the graphics done. You've got the replay team that do all the replays. You've got the live directors. You've got F1 TV that just deal with that, that deal with everything that goes on F1 TV. You've then got people at the circuit doing the interviews, like Sky. We've got um, like Will Buxton. They do all their own interviews. You've got digital team that are out there that do paddock pass. We've got some of our department back in Biggin Hill and at the circuit that send paddock pass and stuff back to us so that digital can get that out on YouTube within a couple of hours of the race. So it is on the race weekend, it is a it's a mega, mega effort by just everyone involved. So something fans really enjoy is reminiscing in the sport, you know, looking back at favourite races, moments across the years. Some of your work involves dipping in into the archives to make videos as part of your broadcast. What's the archive like? It must be like burst into the bream with all 70 years worth of F1. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. Um, so I was a researcher and the archive was where I spent most of my days and some of the things that you find you find these little gems and it's it's crazy to go back and you can watch you can just find a camera tape of Ayrton Senna and it's like wow and it's so it's really satisfying when someone's asked for something really specific and you find it and you're a bit like well done you like go you um but I mean it's we've got every right we don't have I can't remember what we do and don't have, but um, we've got most races, all of it, all the camera rushes, replays, onboard cameras, everything that goes out, we've got. And it's like, it is incredible and you can just get lost in it. Like it is, it's an absolute beast, the archive. I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> Sounds like my kind of movie marathon day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah my brother always says to me he's like oh you just watch cars go around the track all day I'm like yeah pretty much pretty standard um I, I was well like we've seen recently some really cool inside I guess you could call inside footage that we've you know we've not seen before um we had the uh, FIA team radio with Toto Wolf and and obviously uh, Michael Massey at race control about Mazepin and Hamilton and Matt's been getting out of the way um, because he was going to affect the lead and stuff. Are, are those new things that you're always trying to you know, improve the experience for, for us watching the race? Um, and is there more of that to come? Um, I think so. I I don't really deal that much with like the live kind of stuff and everything. So I do, so that when I, I heard that for the first time at whatever race it was, mm. Spain, and it was like, well, that's really cool. But... I do definitely think um, the guys adding all of this stuff to the broadcast is definitely making the fan experience so much better because, I mean, I saw on Twitter as well, people are absolutely raving about that. And that's an insight you've never had before. And it just shows as well, like we do the inside stories and it shows how many components go into, because I know there's a lot of stick around, oh, they just get in the car and they just drive. Like, this is so good for outsiders to see that actually they don't. It's a whole load of people. And it's, I find it amazing. They can go, oh, yeah, we're going to, it's going to be Budapest again. How do you, how does your brain kind of know that that's going to be, that's going to happen? I think 
live putting this, these graphics out, our department putting out these edits where you get to hear Mercedes and stuff talking amongst themselves is, it's a real fan experience. And I think it's a great insight into the sport even further. So um, you're, obviously you say you're, you're involved on particular sides. What, what would your typical day look like uh, as, as an assistant editor now? Um, at the moment, it's uh, so before, like when I was a researcher, it was every day was different. Every single day I could be on one thing one day and then the next day I'll be on, like it could be two, uh, 2020 and then the next day I'll be on something like, I don't know, 1990s. But now it's very, if I'm on an edit, I'll be on it for about a week or something uh, or a week and a half. So it is a lot more structured now. Whatever I'm really put on at the moment. But um, yeah, definitely I think as a researcher, there was far more kind of never knew what I'd come into sometimes and I'd be like oh I wonder what I'm going to be working on today like it could just be anything under the sun anything that Sky have requested um that's very specific to an edit that they're doing and then it's always really fun to see that stuff on Sky and I sit there really smugly with my parents and I'm like that was me that gave me that footage. So how has working in F1 improved your knowledge of the sport? I bet there's sort of things that you still find out that surprise you, like you just mentioned with the FIA radios. But what's the thing that's most surprised you whilst working with your F1? The thing that's most surprised me, I think just like the absolute volume of footage that they have. Because before, um, like you said, the you never got to see these behind the scenes stuff and, you know, get and do that more. And that, I think I personally find it really fun when we get something that is like Ayrton Senna or Michael Schumacher because you really get to go into the archive and your knowledge kind of expands. So I, I obviously knew of Michael Schumacher when I joined the sport, um, but my knowledge of him has definitely expanded because we did a video for his 50th birthday that went up on F1 TV. And you really have to research and know what race is what and when he won and everything like that. So it's just kind of with, like my knowledge was good and then I've joined and now it's kind of, my dad will try to like one up me on something. I'll be like, actually, and because I'm really sad like that. Um, I definitely think, yeah, as you work there, your knowledge just expands so much because you have the time to go and research these things and you want it to be the best and you want it to be factually correct. And the amount of conversations that we have in our department where it's like, well, this happened there, but this happened there. And it's kind of all back and forth. And then you just come to one almighty decision of, well, no, that's wrong. And F1 super fans would be like, that's wrong. Like, what? So yeah, we do have to. If we all, if we can, we always use our our like website because we're like, well, if that says that, we can both be wrong together if we're wrong. <laughs> it's kind of our thinking. And in terms that you're talking about super fans and, and maybe more casual fans watching F1, um, of, of course, I, I feel like things are growing ever more now with things on social media with with, with F1 too. Um, I also wonder as well, working for F1 
now for for a couple of years it must have its perks for you you must be able to go to a couple of races or be involved with things that maybe we wouldn't be able to um have have you been accustomed to some of those perks in the last two years i have yeah i um i went my first race was in 2019 um i went to silverstone and it was i was literally like a kid in a candy store i was like oh, at everything and uh my biggest flex from that was that i was with a cameraman um and we went to go do a nest of our interview and i'm standing in front of the rest of our knock-on like holding a piece of paper like, oh my god and i just hung around with people in my department and just gallivanted around and went up on the podium and stuff and did all that fun stuff to begin with um and it was every time i saw a driver walk past me i was like, <laughs> like i just i had no shame absolutely no shame whatsoever <laughs> and then i went to Bahrain in March for season testing which was really fun I enjoyed that a lot um and that was more I was media manager out there uh but I still got to like go around and see some of the cars on track and I don't think that'll ever get old ever um and then this year I'm kind of, I'm staying here more uh, so that was my only uh, race this year that I went out to um but we also you know, we get some perks, obviously not this year, and last year we didn't either, but we do sometimes get tickets to, like, go and see stuff, and it's my dad and his uh, best mate, they went to Silverstone the same year that I was there, so that was really, like, fun, and it's kind of, it's really nice to be like to my dad, oh, I get I get free tickets, do you, like, want to go? <laughs> like, that's just really, it's really nice to kind of be like that, and I've got a um, got an F1 water bottle. Okay. Hey. I take that with me a lot of places. <laughs> yeah, and it's just I think it's just the um, I have so much pride saying that I work at F1, and I just don't. I just think people's reactions will never get old, ever. Like the day that they do, I'll be like, right, I've said it a bit too much now. I don't think you can ever say it too much um, without a doubt um, talking about perks yeah. there you must be um, partial to some like information before we know about it all so perhaps recently like the Roman Grosjean test with Mercedes um, <coughs> and that possibly um, what is that like knowing things before the public may do? Cause you said, you know, you've got to prepare stuff or like you're working sort of, you know, uh, ahead in time to try and, uh, anticipate, I guess what's going to happen. Yeah. It's nerve wracking sometimes. Absolutely nerve wracking. Um, cause there was, I worked on the Vietnam announcement way before it was even rumored or announced and, we picked out um, when they said, oh, the corner's going to be like this in Monaco or this in Baku. We were finding the footage for that and finding lockups, overtakes, best moments from those corners. And I was so stressed because I lived with my parents at the time. And they were like, oh, what did you work on today? Because I'd only just joined. I was like, oh, nothing, absolutely nothing. 
And my dad came to me, he was like, oh my God, they're racing in Vietnam. I was like, yeah, I know. I was like, I know that. And he's like, Zandavort. I was like, yeah, I know that as well. Like, it's so, sometimes it's kind of, my dad's like, oh my God. And I'm like, yeah, I knew that like two months ago. I'm like, that's like not news to me anymore. But yeah, it is a, it is incredibly stressful, especially when you get told confidential and you're like, oh God, I definitely can't say anything now. You're like, right, I'm just going to pretend that I've not heard it. So now I can't just accidentally like blurt it out. But yeah, it's only like the race, those race stuff that we know about. But driver announcements, I think we, well, I don't, I don't know because digital deal with all that kind of stuff. But I don't think they get that that long in advance. I think it might be like a day or something. Um, but definitely the circuits, we do get those quite far in advance and it's, I always hate, like, if I'm going on a night out, I'm like, right, just don't think about it. Because <laughs> I know I might just, you know, have a few drinks. But I've not done that yet. I've not done that. I wouldn't do that. No. <laughs> Obviously, this year, we're still very much in COVID times, you know, everyone's still being safe. We already had one race cancelled in Canada to have <laughs> Turkey come in. And obviously, Turkey's not gone out. How stressful was that for your department? Like you obviously had to rejig everything for the schedule. Like how much time did you have to be aware of it? Um, we get a couple of hours before we get a, a like the press release that goes out. Um, we'll get that a couple of hours before um, it goes out to the public. But it is, I can imagine that it is very stressful for them even just figuring out the logistics of because obviously it was a it was a double header standalone standalone and now it's gone from a standalone to another triple header so it's kind of fitting that in you've already got plans because everything though before like last year nobody could have plans because we were in lockdown so it's kind of like yeah I'm free because I'm not doing anything you know it gets me out of my house um but now, like, I think when people have plans and everything's opening back up, it will become a lot harder. But we, I think we get, it's enough time in advance to kind of replan and redo everything. Um, but from the, like, big and hillside, it's just one of those things that, you know, if you're the only person free and you've not got anything to do, you're just like, do you know what? Yeah, yeah I love working a race weekend. I really, really enjoy it. Um, it's something that I whenever I know that I'm working one I get really excited just because it's really cool especially now that uh, you know they remotely send the broadcast out it's so cool to sometimes just go in there and it's it is insane in there it's absolutely insane but yeah I, I love working a race weekend so for me I don't really mind <laughs> Um, and, and we were we were saying about you know how you hear stuff a little bit before and uh, for, for certain things um, and get some inside info um, and you're all working on on stuff and in COVID there's been lots of postponements announcements that kind of thing um, that we have to keep quiet about maybe at certain times until a certain point. Do you have to sign like non-disclosure agreements for that? I mean, is it that hush hush or, or is it very much kind of like we trust you with word of mouth and if it gets out we know who it was sort of thing yeah yeah definitely I think uh we don't have any NDAs or anything but it's just you know just don't say anything um but 
it's always somehow it will there's like a, there's always rumors going around all the time um but yeah it's it's just you know keep it to yourself and then you do you're just like get cool so yeah so do you personally have like a favorite race you like to look back on watch over and over again um you know do you have any plans for the future as well like going to races yeah um i wanted to go to me and my dad uh, we'd already booked it to go to spain last year 2020 and then obviously everything happened uh so we both found all of that but i definitely like to be a punter at spain i'd quite like to go to america uh the texas grand prix um my favourite race to watch, I love Baku. So I am incredibly excited for this weekend. Can't wait. Um, it's just always insane. And I, it was one of my first races that I worked um, was Baku 2019. And it was the practice session where George Russell went over the drain pipe, drain cover, and there was a red flag and it was like every practice session, every qualifying session, there was just red flag after red flag. And I'd be watching the clock like, I'm not going home anytime soon. <laughs> like this is going to be mental. Um, but yeah, I think Baku is definitely my, it's my favourite race to watch. So sometimes I don't like working it because then you don't really get to watch it when you're working. Um, and I'm not working this one, so I'm quite excited to just sit down and watch it. Um, I liked, so in, I worked Mugello last year and I was in the, uh, the remote operation centre and they're all very vocal over comms. And it was like, oh my God. And I was doing some work at the time. I was like, what have I missed? And I was like, oh, there's cars everywhere. And I was like, right, show the replays. I, I missed it. I was like, I was working saw the crash and I was like oh my gosh <laughs> so it is um yeah it's kind of it's those moments it's just really I still sometimes I can't get my head around that I'm physically working there watching it live that people are watching but I'm they're doing my own little thing and it's still it blows my mind like sometimes it's it's crazy absolutely crazy like my dad's texting me like oh my god did you see that and I was like no I was like I was working I'm waiting for the replay it's like I've got no idea what happened <laughs> um, I, again you mentioned you touched on there as well like obviously different races you would never be going home sometimes if certain things are happening how do you guys like sort of work with the time differences because of course that that can be a bit of an issue sometimes um so we just switch to whatever they're doing so Europeans you just like your start times like 6 a.m uh but then you're normally home a bit earlier and for australian races you switch completely to australian hours so you'll be starting work at because i did it uh 2020 you'll start at 8 p.m and you'll work all the way through to about 7 a.m 8 a.m so when everyone's coming in you're going home um yeah, so you have to, the night before I worked Australia, so I'd done my whole day work, I then stayed up the entire night until about 6am, slept during the day, got up at whatever time and drove to work, 
and then you just work through the night and Australia last year obviously because it got cancelled and it was about I think it was about 3 p.m our time it got announced someone at McLaren got COVID so we were all sitting there like have we got to go in or is it just going to be called off so we all came in off about two hours of sleep because we were all so unsure sitting there worked through the night and I remember that Saturday because then you've just got you've just got to switch your body back that's for me that is the worst part switching to it is fine but switching back it it's like jet lag but without the fun like you've not been to Australia you've just worked Australian hours in England um and you're sitting there thinking oh Christ (laughs) but I think China's the worst one to do I did a did China in 2019 and I had to wake up at midnight and I was at work at 3am in the morning and then I worked about eight hour day I think so I came home about 10am that's not right 11am maths (laughs) um yeah so I think China and Japan are definitely nobody ever looks forward to China and Japan because you literally wake up half halfway through the night and you're like, I should be asleep right now. This is not normal. Yeah. And right. eating as well, trying to eat in those hours. Like have a dinner at like 2 a.m. You're like, this is not right. <laughs> Talking about Japan, obviously 2019, I don't know whether you, you covered the Japanese race, but you had qualifying and race the same day. Um what, what sort of the procedure when you have to do that, obviously, because you've got to be taking longer because you've got to do two things and condense it into like, you know, what would be like a four or five hour period? Yeah, um, I, I didn't work that race, uh, but I know the guy that did and I knew some people out there. And they said it was really hard because you've got a day off, but you've got to stay on your Japanese hours because obviously you don't want to switch back to then switch back Sunday. Um, but I think with like the Japans and stuff, because there's no support series out there it is a lot there's a lot more flexibility with those so it wasn't I think it was only a few hours before the call time but I can imagine that it was very stressful before and trying to get the new times out because it was so sudden it was like the Friday they cancelled it so trying to get all those new new call times out and yeah I mean we've got some great people working there and they always they always get it done. You know, there's always a plan. There is always a plan. Um, and you just kind of get told, you're in here, you're in there. This is what's happening. You're always very, you know, you're always in the loop all the time. You always kind of know if it involves you, you'll be told exactly what to do, what time to be in, when to be in. So you're never left in the dark if you're working, which is really nice. All right, Hannah, um, thank you so much for joining us on uh, Round the Outside. It's been really cool to have a little bit of an insight into um, your world um, and making it all happen for us as fans and uh, hearing about, especially the time difference, um, uh, rather you than me. But um, yeah, thanks very much and um, we'll, uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Right, thanks guys. So absolute privilege to chat to Hannah there to find all the insights as to what goes on with the TV and social media stuff that they have to deal with. Absolutely fascinating to find that out. But, you know, we have just watched the Monaco Grand Prix and we've witnessed a little bit of history with this race. You know, It's the first time since Germany 2018 when Sebastian Vettel 
put his car in the gravel trap in the stadium section at the Hockenheim ring to where Mercedes no longer lead either the drivers or uh, constructors championships. Absolute historical moment for both Red Bull and Max Verstappen, who now take the lead in both of them. Yeah, who thought it would be saying that? Um, especially well, at any time. It was going to happen at any time, wasn't it? But for it to happen in Monaco, we weren't sure whether Mercedes were going to be dominating or whether Red Bull were. It turns out that Red Bull had the edge in the end. But that is quite a stat, isn't it? That they've led pretty much every championship. Well, yeah, until until this moment. That just shows the pure dominance and how incredible they've been as a team up to now. Um, and... Well, I guess Mercedes would be picking up the baton again. Whether that record would be held for another three years is is um is probably I don't know. Probably not something we're not going to see for a long time, perhaps, because we're going to these new regulations for twenty twenty two, and it's going to mix everything up hopefully, and and take away that kind of one team dominance. So, um, yeah, were you su- surprised to hear that stat when you found it when we were researching for the show? Yeah, it's you know it just sort of puts you know, everything into perspective of how incredible this Mercedes team has been for the past seven years. You know, we've never seen seven constructors and drivers championships together. Um, and Mercedes have done that. They, they've beaten Ferrari's record of six and, uh, and they had five drivers in that time as well. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, Mercedes are rewriting F1 history. You know, Lewis Hamilton's rewriting F1 history. Things that we thought years ago, that Michael Schumacher and Ferrari had done were never going to be beaten. And now, you know, we're going to be saying it again that we don't think it's going to be beaten, but, you know, with people like Max Verstappen and Red Bull on the scene, you know, it could very much happen within the next sort of 10, 15 years. Yeah, and Red Bull seem like they're, you know, they're gearing up for the future. They're investing heavily on their site, taking the air engine in-house um, away from Honda, obviously leaving the sport after this year um, and, yeah, taking it on board themselves. And as you say, got a very, very young driver in Max Verstappen, very fast, has the potential to be multiple world champion, of course, amongst other drivers in the championship at the moment. So, yeah, very exciting uh, time for Red Bull, of course, at the weekend where Verstappen took the victory. Um, but after a scintillating Saturday around the streets of Monte Carlo, Charles Leclerc actually stormed to pole, which was the first we saw for Ferrari since Mexico in 2019. It's amazing to think a team of you know such prestige in Formula One, it took that long for them to claim pole again. But after a crash in the final runs, which saw Leclerc going to the barrier at the swimming pool chicane, it put his starting position in doubt and the team took a risk and, and didn't change the gearbox. And then on the way to the grid for the formation lap, Leclerc just put his head in his hands and said, oh no, oh no, it's happened. And because they took that risk of not changing the gearbox, it was never going to be able to be changed in five minutes. Of course, it's it's very deep down amongst the, the engine and, and, and the drive shaft. And obviously it, it, it takes a long time. It, it just wasn't feasible to get that done. So it was a, it was a real kind of... Uh, well, a massive gamble, and it didn't pay off. Do you do you kind of understand why that Leclerc and 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 Ferrari themselves would have made that decision? I guess it was out of Leclerc's hands, but can you understand why they took that gamble, or was it a bit stupid? Um, you can understand it, and you can't understand it. You can understand it in terms of if you look back at 2018 when Daniel Ricciardo won at Monaco, he had an engine that was on its way out. Um, it's very difficult to pass in Monaco. As we saw in the Grand Prix, there's a very, very limited amount of overtakes. 
so if Charles had had the chance to be there in the race and had kept it, you know, in in the first lap, it would have been very difficult for Max to have overtaken him, which would have given Charles a very very strong chance of winning his own Grand like his home Grand Prix. Um, the downside is obviously there was now a mechanical failure where it was a very high chance that something could have happened and it did. It just seems to be that Charles Leclerc is very unlucky in his his home country. You know, we spoke about it last week, where you know he's never finished a race in his home country, <laughs> which is so hard to believe. This year, gets pole position, doesn't even start a race in his own country. <laughs> and I and I and I saw this week the last time for a pole sitter to not start the race from qualifying was Schumacher in '96. Uh, I believe, at the German Grand Prix. And uh, that just shows you how rare a moment this is. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was, I, f- I find it, I found it very baffling, really. But again, it's one of those decisions, isn't it, where you look at hindsight and you think it, if it had paid off and there'd be nothing wrong with the gearbox, we'll all be saying right now, oh, that was a masterstroke by Ferrari. Uh, uh, and, but we're not, we're saying the opposite. So it's just one of those things, isn't it, really? Um, but yeah, of course, then that promoted Max Verstappen up to pole and um, he capitalised on it very much. He did. But as it's been a lot this season, where there's been disappointment on one side of the garage, there's obviously celebrations and jubilations on the other side. And it very much was the case for Ferrari. They they had Carlos Sainz get on the podium. It's their first podium, you know, since last year uh, with uh, Turkey, I believe it was, where Ferrari had a podium with uh, Sebastian Vettel. That was a that was a very odd day, very much like this one. You know, it definitely wasn't what we predicted uh, was going to happen, but it did. And it's his first podium for the Scuderia as well, so it's very good to get that one out of the way. Um, and Fernando did say, uh, interviewed afterwards, that they used to get quite upset with P2s because they had such a winning formula and mentality when they were racing. You know, P2 just never felt good enough. And you can understand that, especially coming from a double world champion, you know, but from where Ferrari were last year, this is very much a win for them. You know, they're getting a podium. They had a strong race. They've been pretty strong all season, you know, and it's only looking good for future races this year, especially if we can get, you know, the fourth team, you know, we've already had McLaren on the podium, Red Bull and Mercedes. If we get four teams battling for even just that pre three spot. You know, it's going to make this championship all the more better. You know, we also had, you know, Carlos, its former teammate in Lando on the podium once again in Monaco in that what was absolutely an amazing livery um, to, to round off the podium with Max winning. But you know what? That that podium was fantastic for the sport. But I'll tell you what, there was one other surprise in there that blew me away. And that was the stunning form of Sebastian Vettel. You know, you know, Monaco's never been his strongest of tracks. He's won it a couple of times. But, you know, he got into Q3 quite comfortably, qualified P8. But once then pit stops came around, you know, he, he suddenly turned up into P5. You know, and because you can't overtake around Monaco, it's very difficult to. He, he held his own and stayed in P5, which is Aston Martin's best finish of the season. Sebastian is best best finish of the season, but also they outscored the Mercedes factory team. You know, who would have said that at the beginning of the weekend? Well, 
<clears throat> I know that Aston Martin have had very, very troubling times up to this race, but I did predict, I did predict that they were going to do well. Maybe not straight away, as it seems, but they're starting to show their form. Hopefully, it's not a runway, uh, uh, a one race wonder. It's easy to say, isn't it? Um, but uh, yeah, as well, the, the thing that, that made me laugh and there's been a meme about this going around all week, um, the, <laughs> the whoever was directing the coverage, um, ironically, just talking to Hannah there before, uh, directing the coverage of uh, Formula One. Um, they cut. Oh, they cut to like a, a basically a, a non-incident with Lance Stroll as Vettel was coming out the pits. But we saw a clip later on that Vettel basically gave it full beans out of the pits and managed to jump Hamilton and and obviously Gasly and then secured that P five. Um, I thought that was quite funny, um, but because Crofty was like beckoning, uh, we don't know what's happening because they've cut away to Lance Stroll going over the curb and he's in P five. <laughs> Um, so it was a bit of a surprise in that sense as well because we didn't actually see it in the live race but um, of course we saw a video of it afterwards Um, talking about Mercedes uh, a horror pit stop of course that we I was probably the highlight of the race for um, if you're a neutral I guess um, in Valtteri Bottas Uh, he ended up doing a solid race where he was running in P2 um, but up until a dreadful pit stop, put any chance of a race finish to bed or any chance of challenging Verstappen for the lead. Um, there was a bit of a lack of pace um, from championship leader Lewis Hamilton as well. He's now thrown the championship wide open. Max taking the lead by four points to Lewis and Red Bull. Also one point ahead in the Constructors' Championship. So it's got all, all sides of fans, whether you're a Red Bull fan or a Mercedes fan. It's got everyone on the edge of their seats. But, I mean, we're going to mention this in, in the news shortly. But, um, I mean, let's just talk about that pit stop for Bottas. I mean, can you remember the last time a tie didn't come off? I don't I don't ever recall that ever happening since watching Formula 1. Um, I mean, one, one of the last pit stops to do with tyres that was quite weird happened to Bottas, I remember. And that was at Spa when he was at a Williams. And basically, the Williams team back then put two different compounds of tyres on his car. Yeah, the super soft on the back and hards on the other three. And uh, he then had to obviously pit again because he was running not the same tyres on all four. Um, but yeah, that was the sort of last major error from tyres I, I, I vaguely remember. Um, but I've never seen it where, you know, it's gone like that. You know, and say we will bring it up in the news, but yeah, I've I've never seen that in you know I've been watching Formula One for over fifteen years, and I've I've yet to see something like that happen. It was quite it was quite remarkable, um, yeah. and it goes back to when we were talking after Bahrain of weird retirements. That's now going to be in there. <laughs> yeah, very very much so. Yeah, uh, why did you retire this weekend, Valtteri? <laughs> My tire would not come off. Wouldn't come off. I couldn't go anywhere. Um, he could have gone. He could have just carried on, but of course, his tires would. Have, well, he, they probably would have. Well, he, he couldn't he to change his tyre. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because he had all other <laughs> three needed... on. I wonder what it would be like, actually, to drive, like, say, if you had two mediums on the back and two softs on the on the front. I wonder what that would be like to drive. I don't know if it would feel drastically different, but... I know it's something they do in MotoGP. They can have a soft on the front or and a high yeah. on the rear, or they, they can do it in that, but I, I wouldn't know. Um, I don't 
obviously I think they do it more for safety standards that they don't yeah, get Formula yeah. One. But yeah, it would be interesting to find out. But so I don't think that tire would have been doing all seventy eight laps. <laughs> no, quite considering it was a soft tire as well, wasn't it? Um, so yeah, it was uh, quite a um, tumultuous afternoon for Bottas. Um, but, but of course, with Azerbaijan coming up, uh, a, ra- a race which is very much in the balance of both cars would be very interesting to see what happens next week. Hopefully, with pit stops all going to plan as well. All right, let's catch up um, with all the latest news now in F1. Well, referencing that pit stop there for Valtteri Bottas in Monaco, um, we can reveal that finally that pit stop has taken place some many hours after the Grand Prix uh, has finished, releasing a video two days after the Grand Prix showing what they had to do to finally release that soft tyre from his car. And and, and basically the, the, the crux of the story is the wheel nut wouldn't detach from from the car and the, and the tire, hence why the tire couldn't come off. Um, so they then released a video showing that they had to get these really intricate tools, which of course you would never have time to do during a race or have access to, um, to try and sort of file in between the, the gaps in the wheel nut. And it looks like that would have taken a good 20 minutes. Um, again, as we were saying, incredibly bizarre, but they finally got it off. Yeah, it's probably going to be in the record for the longest pit stop ever. <laughs> uh, over two days to get a tire off. <laughs> Um, staying with uh, Monaco for a little bit, McLaren have confirmed that the one-off livery that they ran for the race is going to stay as that. I know many fans have been calling them out to say, can we have the livery back? Can we keep it? Um, but M- McLaren have confirmed that they are going back to the papaya orange that we have seen in the forefront of the car for the past four years. Very, very sad because, I mean, just the golf livery, everyone was raving about it at the weekend. They were, they were, they, they were just, they wished they could have seen that you know, the, well, to say for the whole time. Um, and it's, and it's actually nice to see, um, I know the Red Bull have done some one-off liveries in the past. There was one-off livery when they were at Silverstone a few years ago and they had, it was basically the Red Bull colors, but they'd somehow like got everyone's face of like fans onto the, onto the bodywork. And it made up the, made up the, um, well, the body shape, if you like, and, and, and sort of the, the paint finish on it. So, um, one-off, Liveries are cool, and I want to see them come back um, a bit more. Um, sad news this week, unfortunately, um, we've we've lost some real key key people in Formula One in the last couple of years. And um, former FIA president and team owner of of the March team, Max Mosley, sadly passed away this week at the uh, age of eighty one. He was um, very much in the forefront of safety change after the tragic deaths of uh, both Ed and Senna, of course, and Roland Ratzenberger in the 94 San Marino or Imola Grand Prix. He commissioned the advisory expert group, which was chaired by Professor Sid Watkins. And those the pair of them two, they're so influential on safety and what we know now as, as the sport. Um, they're, they're very much um, influential in the survival cell, weren't they? Um, and all these improvements, um, also the... Um, the thermal overalls in case of a fire in the car, which of course only recently we would have experienced with Roman Grosjean. And of course the halo helped Grosjean, but all of these things come together, the survival cell and those fireproof overalls have saved his life. So all of these changes that were happening, you know, 20 years ago that still exist, exist in the sport now, um, have real, really paid off. I think it's all of this kind of work behind the scenes, Chris is, is very much underappreciated, isn't it? Like how, important it is yeah for sure i mean 
just the smallest little things i know say after the they, they commissioned this group they brought in the hands device you know again something that you know helped Felipe Massa when he had his accident you know and uh other things like that all any tiny tiny little adjustments of safety which led from this group have saved numerous amounts of lives whether it be in Formula 1 Formula 2 you know even across the sea you know the little different things have definitely you know save people's lives and you know without Max Mosley and Professor Sid Watkins you know doing what they did you know they 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 definitely have saved you know many many lives and um you know fans and 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 like like us who watch week in week out um should be very glad that you know all of these devices have come into play and you know we get to see what we see you know which is people like Grosjean and his, after his accident survive and that that is the most important thing and uh, we're going to take away from Formula One now. We're going to head over to the continent of Africa. And we're going to talk about round two of the FIA Extreme E, which has taken place this weekend in Lac Rose in Senegal, which is for the Ocean X Prix. Once again, teaming up with TikTok, uh, the short video social media platform, which is going to help boost the series social media opportunities, um, they're going to be racing, you know, last time they were live on YouTube, they're going to be the same again on TikTok in many different countries around the world. And um, it's the second of five races, which, you know, is like trying to provide greener alternatives to racing, trying to like educate people as to what's going on with climate change and whatnot. And um, obviously after round one, we saw Team Nico Rosberg, take the lead in the uh, championship with that and uh, obviously it's the battle of Rosberg and Hamilton yet again uh, it'll be interesting to see if it, it, team Hamilton can get back on form um, but again it's, it's one of them great new uh, series that have taken place in recent years where it's a 50-50 split between uh, male and female racers you've got ex-pros in there you've got you know new up-and-coming racers as well so it's definitely a race uh, to keep an eye on for this weekend. Um, the final races will be available to watch on Sunday between 3pm and 5pm in British summertime uh, timings. Uh, and then the next round after this will be round three, uh, which is going to be the Arctic Expri, which will be hosted in Greenland. And that will be on the weekend of the 28th and the 29th of August. As we saw in the first round of Saudi in Saudi Arabia, um, we've got the the two locations we're in Senegal and Saudi Arabia beforehand. Basically, desert tracks and loads and loads of sand. And uh, something we noticed from the first rounds, wasn't it, Chris, that uh, a lot of dust got picked up. So whoever was in the lead basically just blinded the drivers behind. And it was so difficult to try and uh, see where they were going and make any headway. Um, but also some really sort of um, quite scary crashes and rolls. But obviously the safety's in place. But um, I, I assume when they go to Greenland, they won't have that dust problem because they'll be racing on... Snow. They would just have white dust instead. From white dust, yeah. <laughs> so um, that'd be interesting to see. But yeah, it's um, as you say, great um, a great initiative. And, I, and when they travel in the world as well, they're not flying these cars, as I understand, around the world. They are actually well, they have they own this one ship, and they have all the cars and all the equipment and and everything on this one ship that goes around the world. And, and and basically drops off into ports of where the the, the races are taking place. So in that sense, it's 
more environmentally friendly as well and trying to reduce emissions there. So it's a very conscious uh, racing series and, and trying to tackle climate change and all of those things in between. So it's only it's only a good positive thing for, for motorsport because it's going to be one of those examples along with um, Formula E as well in terms of the single seaters um, that this technology could be uh, passed on into sort of road cars in the next 20 years. It's the future, isn't it? That's the whole point of why we have these motorsports, Formula One, um, of course, for entertainment purposes, but also um, to push development and um, research and development towards actual car manufacturers and hopefully then feeds to us in the next sort of 10 years afterwards. So, um, yeah, Extreme is great. I've, I've, to be fair, I've got to I've got to watch it a bit more, find some more time to actually watch the races, but it's just sort of getting used to it. It's getting new, used to a new series, understanding all the rules and, and such. But, um, yeah. Very much excited to see uh, how Extreme E pans out for the rest of the season. I believe that's all the news, isn't it, Chris, that we've covered? I think that's all of the news. All right. Uh, so, yes, back next week here on Around the Outside, as per usual, um, we will be heading to Baku. So we'll be previewing the Baku Grand Prix in Azerbaijan. We wish we could both be there, but of course we can't because of COVID. Um, but we'll be passionately watching it from a distance and uh, giving our thoughts and reflections uh, as to who could take advantage around the streets of Baku and whether Hamilton can reclaim his championship lead, whether Verstappen can really start to put a mark on the Formula One championship uh, in round five uh, of the Formula One series. Right, it's been Jake Peach here on Around the Outside. As me, Chris Moss. And we'll see you next weekend. Enjoy the rest of your week. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.